Welcome to the WTJX Newsfeed. In today's top stories, senators support legislation seeking to combat revenge porn in the territory. The Public Service Commission denies the Waste Management Authority's petition to reconsider their annual assessment. The Department of Education says school attendance across the territory is below average. These stories and more on today's WTJX Newsfeed. From the Virgin Islands Public Broadcasting System Studios on St. Thomas, this is the WTJX Newsfeed with Marcelina Ventura Douglas. Welcome to the WTJX Newsfeed, bringing you the latest news and updates throughout our community. Police are seeking the community's assistance in locating a St. Thomas minor. 14-year-old Kimia Schillingford was last seen on Tuesday, February 13th at the Bertha Seba Shelter Middle School wearing her school uniform. She is described as a black female weighing 130 pounds, 5 feet 4 inches, has a light brown complexion, brown eyes, auburn and black hair, and a slim build. If seen, notify 911 or the Juvenile Bureau at 340-715-5541 or 340-626-0759. 48 states plus the District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, and Guam have enacted some form of legislation prohibiting the non-consensual dissemination of sexual images known as revenge porn. Senator Donna Fred Gregory introduced legislation that would make the non-consensual dissemination of sexually explicit images the 15th of domestic violence crimes in the territory. The measure, if ultimately passed into law, would make the first offense a misdemeanor with a prison term not exceeding one year, and all future offenses would be deemed a felony. The proposed statute of limitations for filing a criminal complaint would be two years after a victim becomes aware of the revenge porn incident. This measure is an important piece of legislation and is the continuation of the work that I began in the 34th legislature with the victim's notification. But I would be remiss if I did not give credit to um, former Senator Alison Degazan. It looks very different to uh, when she shared it with me while exiting the, the institution of the legislature. But I will say that in the age of technology and instant connectivity, more and more people are becoming victims in a whole new way. Executive Director of the Women's Coalition of St. Croix, Dr. Clemma Lewis, testified that repeat offenders of the proposed legislation should be added to the sex offender registry, stating that while men are sometimes victims of such a crime, it affects women at a higher rate. It's long overdue. If we do not protect our most vulnerable citizens, then who will? There are no laws currently on the books that speak specifically to revenge porn a point that Timothy Perry, criminal chief in the Department of Justice's St. Thomas St. John Attorney General's office, told lawmakers. So many of these cases, because of the way that the laws are written, are very difficult to prove. And if you notice in this law, for example, it says the word identifiable victim. It becomes a question of, and this is the, the, the fight we have with our colleagues across the aisle, there's not a whole lot of case law yet in the Virgin Islands <clears throat> about, for example, what like, identifiable means. So... No, we do. Unfortunately, we do not have a specialty unit uh, in the Department of Justice to handle this. I know that VIPD and I won't I won't speak for them, but I know that they have contractors with some expertise in trying to develop. And we assist with search warrants 
but trying to get at the root of who is um, creating these images, who is disseminating these images. And again, it's not that this is something new that is happening. Revenge pornography has been happening in the Virgin Islands over the last, probably the last decade or so. The issue is we haven't had a law on which to charge it. So it would fall under a domestic violence harassment law um, or a cyber stalking law. So this is going to be a new and positive thing. Senator Ray Fonseca seemed to have left some of his colleagues confused with his line of inquiry, questioning whether past intimate photos shared between a couple could then be considered under the law once a relationship had ended. I am in support of, of the bill. Um, I can see the bill moving, but um, there are some amendments that um, I think we need to consider because you can get into a situation where you have what I call a reverse revenge. And this can happen if Chad get a new girlfriend, this reverse revenge can pop up popa. Senator Donna Fred Gregory sought to provide clarity on any seeming confusion. There's a section of the bill on page four that speaks to liability exceptions. And that speaks to images involve voluntary expose in public or commercial settings. And I brought that up because my colleague asked specifically about individuals coming down the parade route. If you are coming down the parade route and you are voluntarily exposing yourself, this bill does not protect you. So there's no reverse, what do you call it? What do you say? Reverse retaliation. Six out of seven committee members voted in favor of the measure, with Senator Ray Fonseca voting against the bill, contending that further amendments needed to be made to prevent what he's calling reverse revenge. The U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services published a final rule to adjust fees for certain immigration and naturalization benefit requests. The change is the first since 2016 and is aimed at helping the agency recover a greater share of its operational costs and facilitate what they hope to be more efficient processing of new applications. The decision follows a comprehensive fee review as mandated by law, building upon a notice of proposed rulemaking published in January of 2023. The final rule incorporates several key updates based on stakeholder feedback including a reduction in the agency's annual cost recovery requirement by $727 million, factoring in improved efficiency measures. The new fees will take effect this year on April 1st, and the Citizenship and Immigration Services will offer a grace period from April 1st to June 3rd, accepting both previous and new editions of certain forms with the correct fee. In a regular meeting scheduled yesterday, the Public Service Commission unanimously voted to deny the Waste Management Authority's petition for reconsideration of their annual assessment. As Isabel Taylor reports, this is part of an ongoing battle between the PSC and Waste Management. The ongoing issues between the Public Services Commission and the Virgin Islands Waste Management Authority came to a head at yesterday's hearing. Waste Management claims that the PSC calculated their 2024 annual assessment incorrectly. Daryl Griffith, the Chief Financial Officer for Waste Management, spoke at yesterday's hearing. Unfortunately, the PSC calculated the Waste Management assessment incorrectly using non-operating revenue instead of operating revenues. But the PSC disagrees. And this disagreement boils down to how both entities are defining operating revenue. 
The Waste Management Authority is predominantly funded through government appropriations. And the PSC says that money, which is used for operating expenses, is therefore part of the operating revenue. But the Waste Management Authority has a different definition. And this was the basis for debate at yesterday's hearing. What, what is your definition of gross operating revenues? Simply put, it's money generated from a business's core activities. You're not a business, though. You're a government entity. You're a semi-autonomous instrumentality of the government. Still not a business. Boyd Sprain, the general counsel for the PSC, went on to say there was nothing in the VI code to support waste management's position. There's nothing in the statute that says operating revenues don't include appropriations where the government has chosen to pay the bill. According to the PSC, waste management owes over $400,000 for their fiscal year 2024 assessment. But waste management said auditors had calculated their assessment to be only $14,000. All of this is then made more complicated by the fact that, according to the PSC, waste management hasn't paid a single one of their assessments since 2021, meaning they owe over $1.4 million. At the hearing, PSC commissioners stated up until 2021, waste management had agreed with the assessment calculations. I mean, we have a long history of the Waste Management Authority concurring with our calculation. And it's not clear to me what changed such that all of a sudden the definition of operating revenue um, is now no longer agreed upon between the two entities. How do you explain the historical concurrence? Deputy Executive Director of Waste Management, Louis Sylvester, could not provide a clear answer. The petition for reconsideration of the 2024 assessment was denied by the PSC yesterday in a unanimous vote. In response, Florence Kahugu, General Counsel for Waste Management Authority, said they would be bringing the case to Superior Court. Department of Education's Superintendent for the St. Thomas-St. John District, Stefan Jurgen, and his St. Croix counterpart, Irisilda Otley-Herman, expressed concern about attendance rates when they testified before lawmakers on school conditions. Data graphs submitted to lawmakers left a seemingly concerned Senator Carla Joseph with lots of questions. You're having a number of these in the these schools that are in yellow in the St. Thomas District where you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven with attendance issues that you're saying commissioner is what? Below? Needs improvement. Needs improvement. Only one school, and I and I attended that school. Bertha C. Shelter is in the blue. Is because they bust. Their bus. The whole school. Superintendent Herman stated that each school has their own attendance team and they work to contact students' parents. In many instances, what we've seen outside of arriving late consistently, what we've also seen is individuals who just don't bring their students back to school. Um, we've made referrals out to DHS and called the appropriate authorities as far as we, we can move forward with it in VIDE. Um, as I said, in March, we're going to have a deeper conversation. We ask as many parents to kind of provide some feedback. In conversations that I've had with some parents, one of the hardships, especially for the younger students, 
is that our schools start at 8.15 and 8.30 and parents have to be to work for 8 a.m. So many parents find themselves going to work and then turning around and when they have a break or opportunity, dropping their children to school um, because of the arrival time of staff and drop off, drop off time. So we're looking at what programmatic, you know, which schools were affecting um, as much with our start times. What we've seen with Eulalie Rivera starting at 7.30 is an actual increase in their attendance rate. And so we're looking at that as well as what should we do to address some of our attendance measures. Dr. Jurgen said the attendance data is something at the forefront of their discussions with principals. In the school improvement plans, we've organized our school teams um, that consist of guidance counselor, attendance counselor. The district even has a truancy officer. And if there is a chronic attendance issues, we'll visit the child's home or the parent's job just to encourage parents to make sure that children are coming to school. It's not an enforcement thing where we're coming down and hammering. I think the statute also fines parents for not bringing their children to school. That doesn't happen. Senator Joseph equated the excess absence and tardiness to the achievement rates in students. If a child is absent for three days, mm -hmm. then the attendance counselor will call. Uh, if that child is absent for five days, the attendance will call them, attendance counselor will call them to come into the what school. What about late, consistent tardiness? It, it includes tardiness. It's included Where tardiness. you have to come and meet with the grade level uh, teacher. And then you have to meet with the grade level principal. So those meetings are occurring, Senator. Okay. Dr. Jurgen stated the department's student service division does work with the school attendance teams to address the absence issues. He says there is also collaboration with the Department of Human Services. Some of the students do have a, a social worker that's linked from the Department of Human Services also. And so um, they coordinate and they collaborate. And some of it ends up, you know, as, as we also have an intervention specialist that goes to court. And some of them might have court cases and other issues going on. Senator Donna Frett Gregory said she was unsure if the department could force the issue any more than they already have. I just want to make sure that it doesn't, we don't leave here thinking that you're not doing the necessary follow-ups because in some instances it's not necessarily within your control. Well, Senator, I will say this. There is a process in place for us to be able to address um, student absenteeism. Obviously, it's not working to the degree that it should be because a lot of students are not in school. Department officials and senators agreed that it was a systemic issue and that the community and parents must take personal accountability. The Virgin Islands Department of Agriculture's nursery will be closed until Monday, February 26, to assist with the setup and breakdown of the 52nd Annual Agriculture and Food Fair. Normal business hours will resume on Monday, February 26 at 8 a.m. Government House's Cannabis Policy Advisor Positive Nelson has been leading the helm of the Auto Expungement Working Group, comprised of members from varying relevant departments and nonprofit legal services group. They're tasked with helping to expunge the records of individuals convicted of possessing two ounces or less of cannabis. Nelson updated board members on the progress now that they've begun taking applications. We're at the point of, of actually sending out a, some recommendations to the OCR with an initial list of qualified uh, candidates for expungement. We've been going to the process to be determined that we're going to utilize. Uh, there are some logistics still to be worked out. And 
and we're we're hopeful that we can have this report out to to the legislature, government house, I mean the governor, and the Supreme Court. Hopefully, within the next couple of weeks, and uh, and we'll with also a, a public notification to let individuals know how they can access the expungement process. Back in January, the Office of Cannabis Regulations shared hopes of opening up what they call the registry for patients and sacramental users of cannabis in April and cannabis business agents in June or July. Nelson says they've been putting in work leading up to that time. And we have conducted some training in collaboration with Oaksterdam University and the University of the Virgin Islands. Uh, the number is evading me right now. We had some 30 individuals who've taken uh, the courses so far, and we sort of hold up on courses at the meantime, but they will become available again. In addition to the registry, the office introduced a four-part fireside chat series, which they say aims to incorporate key stakeholders in conversations around the cannabis industry. The sessions are virtual Zoom meetings, and two have already been held for practitioners and sacramental organizations. The final two are scheduled for this month, with the meeting for medicinal patients being held tomorrow, February 15th, and for sacramental users of cannabis on February 29th. Registration for the meeting is not required and can be joined at 6 p.m. by following the link on the ocr.vi.gov website under the News and Updates tab. The Virgin Islands Housing Authority submitted their request for the Tutu Senior Community Center at a recent Coastal Zone Management meeting. Matt Boyge, the project manager, presented the new design to board members. The building is an L-shaped building that is about five and six stories high. It includes 60 units of senior affordable housing. All hurricane-hardened materials of steel and concrete construction uh, up to withstanding Category 5 hurricane and seismic conditions. As Beth previously mentioned, uh, we do have an alternate energy and microgrid energy plant located on the back end of the site uh, with a primary focus on sustainability and resiliency, uh, which includes all Energy Star certifications, uh, responses to national green building standards, and uh, a cistern located at that ground floor level. Jack Carney, the Director of Environmental Services for Hillman Environmental, the environmental engineers on the project, said that from its initial inspection, asbestos was found in the current structure. Uh, back in uh, 2022, uh, 2022, we did asbestos surveys of the site buildings. Uh, asbestos was detected in the uh, community center, in the floor tile and floor tile mastic, and also in the joint compound uh, of the drywall. Uh, the other site buildings did not have any asbestos-containing materials. Uh, in 2023, uh, lead-based paint XRF survey was conducted. Uh, with no lead detected. Um, the results of the asbestos inspection were incorporated into the uh, RFP for the demolition, and all that material will be shipped off-island. 
Additional presenters answered board members' concerns about the removal of asbestos prior to the demolition. I'm Ivy Dench Carter. I'm senior vice president at Penrose um, of Development. And so from and the asbestos will be remediated prior to the demolition of the buildings. Those asbestos materials will be shipped off-island to a licensed um, um, landfill facility in the mainland. We do not know what the name of that facility is going to be yet because the contractor that will be doing the demolition, which has not been chosen yet, will identify the appropriate landfill with approval by our environmental consultant. In more updates, we're turning now to our regional report. Trinidad and Tobago's prime minister said a large oil spill near the Twin Island Nation has caused a national emergency as crews struggle to contain the oil already coating numerous beaches on Tobago's southwest coast. Cleaning and restoration can only seriously begin after we brought the situation under control. Right now, the situation is not under control. Prime Minister Keith Rowley said the government has yet to identify the owner of the vessel that overturned near Tobago last week. We don't know who it belongs to. We have no idea where it came from. And we also don't know all that it contains. What we do know, it appears to be broken, having made contact here, and is leaking some kind of hydrocarbon that is fouling the water and the coastline. That vessel could have come to us from any kind of operation, especially if the operation is illicit. It is not immediately clear how much oil has been spilled and how much remains on the largely submerged vessel. Divers have not been able to contain the leak and are trying to determine how to remove the remaining oil. And officials are worried about how the spill will impact not only the environment, but tourism at the height of carnival season. Rowley says it's too early to know how much the cleanup will cost, but said some not-so-insignificant costs are being incurred just to respond to this incident. The United Nations is working with Trinidad and Tobago to coordinate an international aid response. In more updates, we're turning now to our meteorologist for the territory's weather forecast. Relatively quiet weather expected across the Virgin Islands as we head through the end of the week, thanks largely in part to a big ridge of high pressure over the central Atlantic. That ridge is promoting a southeasterly wind flow across our corner of the Caribbean, and it looks like temperatures will remain above normal through the remainder of the week. We'll continue to experience rip currents mainly at north and east-facing beaches, so keep that in mind if you're heading in the water. It's a partly cloudy sky tonight. There is a slight chance of a shower. Lows mostly in the lower to middle 70s. Winds will diminish to east to southeast at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Plenty of sunshine tomorrow. Should be a beautiful Thursday. Again, it's warmer than normal. High temperatures 82 to 86. A few scattered clouds tomorrow night. Temperatures in the low to mid 70s. It'll be partly sunny with a slight chance of showers on Friday. Just a low chance, 20%. Temperatures in the middle 80s. This is meteorologist Russ Murley on WTJX. We are at the end of today's WTJX newsfeed. I'm Marcelina Ventura Douglas. Join me every weekday at 5 p.m. And if you haven't already, be sure to download the WTJX app. If you missed a part of our news, you can listen to it on demand wherever you get your podcasts. 